0: Welcome back to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have AJ O'Neill.
1: Yo, 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 coming at you live from, hey, I'm gonna go to a data center today.
0: I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. This week we have a special guest, that's Tejas Kumar. you What's want to up? say hi, introduce yourself again, let people know who yeah. you are.
2: Yeah, hey buddy, it's Pages, pronounced sometimes like pages. Nice to nice to be here and talk about web pages and JavaScript and all the all the things.
0: Nice, yeah. We've we've had you on before, so you shouldn't be a complete stranger to people. But you know, we, we do get new listeners, so you never know. Um, yeah. yeah, we brought you on today to talk about signals, and I have to admit, um, I I was trying to figure out what they were and I've seen people talking about it on Twitter and on other places and I'm not even sure I understand what they are. Right. So I, it's my deep thoughts they They're really going to come through this episode, but maybe you can enlighten us. So when people are talking about signals and they're going, this is the best or why the heck do we want them? Like what, what are they first? Like what, what are we talking about here?
2: Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it, it, it. At, at, at the root level, it's a value that change, Like So I'm talking about signals in the context of like user interfaces, right? That's kind of what the hot topic okay. is on Twitter. Like signals okay. for user interfaces that provide a level of fine-grained reactivity. You'll see this buzzword everywhere, fine-grained reactivity. Um, and that just Ooh. means only what changes in your user interface is effectively reprocessed or re-rendered. And this is fundamentally different to how React does it because React will not re-render just what changed, but every component in the tree down from a re-render, uh, from, from what changed. Oh. Um, versus solutions, state management solutions like MobX um, that will give you this fine-grained reactivity. Only what updates, updates. Uh, so a signal, to answer your question, is a value that changes over time and whose changes, whose change events can trigger side effects like updating a user interface or something. Um, you can think of them synonymously to like observables uh, where you subscribe to them and when they change, some update happens.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, this sounds like it's not a new thing that oh, people dude, should be going.
2: I feel like time is a flat circle You know, and like, we we were here. We were here before React showed up and said, you know what, let's just throw away the UI and put the new UI in place. React showed up with this radical idea that was criticized, but it was a direct answer to, you know, two-way data binding at the time, which some of that used signals. Like I think of Knockout.js years ago that that Uh used observables, but they were reactive observables that were Pretty much the same as signals today. Um, the only difference, really, between Knockout.js and what we have from signals today is the developer experience. You can write them like with nicer syntax. That's it. But it's the same thing that you're thinking of.
0: Okay, so I guess then I'm trying to figure out what the difference is between yeah observables or you know other things where uh, essentially have like a pub sub, right? Um, and and signals like why are people saying this is way better than anything that's ever existed before
2: you know I don't I I feel like the people who are saying this are people who are on some type of hype train because we have seen we have seen reactive primitives in knockout JS in fact if you talked first of all I feel like I'm probably not the best person to talk about this there's people like Ryan Carniato who is like the CEO of signals But even he Uh would say in documentation that he wrote that SolidJS, probably the thing that started this whole signals conversation recently, is a direct influence, is directly influenced by KnockoutJS. So, like, even he says, no, it's, dude, it's like heavily inspired by Knockout. The only difference is developer experience. Because it's syntactically, SolidJS is like almost the same as React. You could literally, like, take a React app. Change around a few imports and a little bit of syntax, and it works in Solid because the syntax is so similar. So the right. the difference, of course, is with with Solid, you know, only what actually changes is re-rendered. So your updates are more fine-grained. Um, so that's okay. why. Yeah.
0: So at the end of the day, I guess what I'm wondering then is. When we're talking about signals, are these just not user-generated events, as opposed to user-generated events that cause these changes, or can they be user-generated as well?
2: Exactly. You so know, so it's signal? not a click, for example. It's yeah. a,
0: you know, I got oh. information through the uh, web socket back to my, you know, server, and it was checking a weather service, and so it pushes an update up to my end, and and that's kind of a signal, or
2: yeah like what we're seeing on the ui world today is 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 now well okay so again to go back to the original definition right it's it's a signal is a value that changes over time that okay that its changes can trigger events but the question is what are these events um and and are they yeah. purely user side effects or are they more and there's libraries now that kind of expose signals around three specific primitives. So there's if you think about conceptually like like use state in React, right? Um some would say this behaves kind of like a signal um, in a very abstract way. Because when you use state and set state, um your React component effectively subscribes to the value of this state signal, so to speak. And then when you update it, and you can update just the value. But updating this value would cause um, a a respective user interface update. So that's just updating what what is called a root value in these libraries. But there's other things that you can do. So with a signals library, there's another type of value, another type of signal value called a derived value, which is basically when this signal Mm -hmm. updates, that signal updates. It's dependent signals. Right. Um, And you'd use this for, for example, if you have um, a signal for total income, and you have another signal for average income, they're dependent on each other, you know? So the average would mm-hmm. reflect the total divided by the total right. number of transactions. Um, so that's a derived value signal. And then third is just a side effect. When this updates, do something else. Um, and you see these over and over again, exposed in signals libraries today is is just purely value-based signals, uh, derived signals or computed signals and, and side effect signals. Um, but all of them fundamentally are things that respond when values change.
0: Okay. So you could then implement this with observables or... Very much.
2: I I struggle, and this may be me just showing my own inadequacy, but I struggle with creating like a nice tweet-sized delineation between observables and signals. They're, They're so similar conceptually.
1: So I'm looking right. at the solid JS documentation and that's where that's where all this hubbub is coming from, right? It's coming from solid.js. That they started the conversation, yeah.
2: And that's just because they brought knockout JS observables into
1: newer React like developer experience. But it this just looks like to me, it just looks like use state. How the exactly. syntax looks yeah. the same except for it says create signal rather than use state. What am I missing? Yeah, look what, at what, look what, at how the signal is being read. Uh, I actually, um, I, I only know JavaScript. I can't read React. Oh, it's a function. It's a function. Is that the deal? It's a function call. Exactly. So it looks, so, so Solid's whole appeal is to look like
2: React to give people a nice, you know, bridge to move to this newer, smaller, better, faster thing, which measurably Solid is. Um, that's why. Syntactically, they try to be very close. But if you look under the hood at what Store does, um, it's it's very different. For example, it doesn't need to be uh, within the closure of the component. You can call create store from wherever you want. And what it will return to you is a tuple. A tuple uh, containing a getter and a setter. Um, this getter, so the first element in your tuple, when you call it, it, it looks at its context. So am I, am I being read inside a component? Am I being read inside something else? It looks at its context and basically subscribes that component where it's called to its, itself, to its updates. Um, and that's that's really the magic. So every time you call that getter, you opt into when the state here changes. Now, do something. And in Solid's case, that means re-render just this piece of UI. Um, so it
1: looks like React on the surface, works very differently. So why do we want magic? Why not just have it be explicit of where this is coming from <laughs> and what it's related to? Well, well, how why, wait, learn- why are you laughing?
0: Because of the way you put it, I I just think it's funny because, you know, magic or syntactic sugar or, you know, uh, a nice, you know, developer experience or however you want to put it. I just thought it was funny the way that you put it, basically. But yeah, for for me, it's it's yeah. okay. so how? Yeah, my question is basically the same. How is this superior to what we already have?
2: Because it allows for a different type of rendering, right? Arguably a faster style of update where a tiny piece of UI subscribes to the value of a signal. Okay. Um, right? As as opposed to an entire function that could contain a hundred different side effects, a lot of other use state that is maybe subscribed to a bigger context. Like I've I have worked with React bases React load bases that are large and React components where the imports alone are like a hundred lines. Um you know, and, and Ouch. It's, it's very easy to, uh, yeah, believe me, it's very yeah. easy to lose track of um, do I use memo this? Do I use callback that? And you kind of just hope you get fine grained reactivity for free with React. And that's kind of a misnomer, right? Like React says it makes minimal efficient updates. So you would think, okay, it's not going to update well, unnecessarily. It does make
0: minimal efficient updates if you write it that way.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. But but that's the thing, like the minimal efficient updates is opt-in, you know? And that's, I feel like that's the biggest loss. Whereas with Solid... And and it's... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say with Solid, it's not opt-in. Like it's it's minimal efficient by default.
0: Yeah, it's... How do I put it? So what I find is that a lot of the decisions that we make as far as like how we build our systems, what we bring into our systems they all have implications then on how we write our systems, right? And so uh, React doesn't, because you could do this in React. I mean, you've you've said this a bunch of times, right? You can do this in React. You can probably make it so that it fairly cleanly does these minimal kind of updates we're talking about. But it doesn't naturally push you that way, right? It doesn't naturally discourage you either so much. It just doesn't, It's not kind of a first-class, oh, I want to make this small change in my UI, and so I clearly and easily and quickly use something like signals, right? Exactly. And so so the the issue then becomes, okay, so I didn't realize this, but I'm re-rendering half of my page to get an update in three tiny places. Exactly. Instead of dealing with something like signals, where those three tiny places are all subscribed to the event. And so I only get three tiny updates. And so it doesn't have to do as much work. It can do it much more quickly. It does it more efficiently. And it's much more targeted so that I don't... If you're re-rendering half the page, you may re-render other stuff in a way that I didn't expect.
2: Exactly. And this is where I feel like React has lost because React's value proposition was... You declaratively write your UI and effects, and React just makes it happen. But w- it, in some way, React has kind of lied to us almost because it doesn't just make it happen. It, it makes it happen with an unseen cost of performance. And this is where, and then you know, you talk about it in the community, and it's like, why is half my battery running? Oh no, no, that's okay. Just slap a use memo on it, and and then slap a use callback. <laughs> right, and then you have to think about like your dependency arrays and and then it gets way more complex and this i feel like is deviating from the value proposition of no no react is just declaratively describe your stuff and and it happens um and and so like i feel like if react executed on its pro- this is such this is going to get me in so much trouble but whatever i feel like if react executed on its promise of like you declaratively write ui and it just happens performantly um, then Solid or signals wouldn't even have a reason to exist. Really, would just be describing UI left and right. Things just work great, right? Um, but I think it's all not for loss because because of the the, the more recent discourse that's happening on Solid, um, React is actually being incentivized to improve. Like, and it is like I don't know if you mm-hmm. all have heard of the the forget compiler from React.
0: No, I don't think so.
2: So this is this is in in 2021 at React Conf they announced the new um, experimental project where it's this compiler that will do exactly what I just mentioned React should, which is quite exciting. And at build time, will statically analyze your code and infer what should be memoized and what should be used. What components are unlikely to change? Actually, what components will never change? And it automatically at build time will memoize them and your final bundle will have use memo and use callback in the right places. Just oh, interesting. So so that way React does deliver on the promise of you don't need to think about signals, you don't need to think about memo, you don't need to think about it. You just like describe your UI and it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been an experiment at Meta since 2021. It's been two years. Um, but I think if they figure that out, then we're good in the UI space. React's react then delivers what it promises but as of now it doesn't yeah
0: well and i i think because over the last you know several years um the way that we look at use and approach things in a react app have changed right i think initially a lot of the promises that you're saying that react made it could keep mostly and it was because we weren't using it in the way that we're using it now a lot of times we were just saying, okay, these are the things that I need you to handle, re-render, whatever. And then everything else was mostly static and it was fine. But then as we've kind of moved into single page apps, we've moved into areas where you have huge components with a giant tree of sub-components, right? Yeah. If, if you have it re-rendering too far up the chain, then that's where you're getting into trouble. But it's easier to just have it manage the, the changes, you know, a lot of times yeah. at that higher level, but it's at the cost of the performance and other things that we're talking about. And it doesn't give you that, like I said before, it doesn't really push you to do the fine grain stuff, right? Yeah. And so what you're doing is you're doing the easiest thing to program, which doesn't necessarily lend you to the most performant or targeted way of building your app. And so yeah. I think it's I think it's less that react doesn't give this to you and more that the common coding discipline for react has not encouraged developers to go that way. And some of that yes is the framework and some of it's the culture or lack thereof around it, right? And so yeah. um th- there are, there are a lot of different ways to approach this to make it better. Um Where we're at with React, yeah, I think the best way to handle it is something like tooling, where you effectively add signals or signals-like stuff to React in order to give people that approach. Because at this point, trying to rein the community back in and say, hey, you all are doing it wrong. I just don't think a lot of people are going to pick that up. I think the people who are active in the community and are speaking into the community, paying attention to the community, and working in the community may pick that up. But there are a lot of people out there writing React that they go to work, they write write, React and go home, and they never listen to a podcast or read a blog or watch a conference talk. And so those people are just going to keep doing it the way they're doing it. And then what will happen is that when this comes out and it's announced as the new feature in React, whatever version it comes out in, that's when it'll, oh, this is there. Oh, this does this. Oh, that's really nice. And then they'll start using it.
2: Yeah, which, to be fair, to to your point where you said, you know, it would also be hard if React comes out now and says, hey, you you all are doing it wrong. um, I feel like there's an argument to be made there of if everybody does it a certain way, is it still wrong, you know? Um, Because again... Yeah, wrong isn't
0: the right word, but yeah. It's, it's suboptimal but, um, or I don't know. I don't know how you say that without hurting people's feelings. Right, but but yeah. like,
2: I feel like the, I, I keep going back to the initial motivation for React 2, which is which is what if we could just describe what we wanted um, without getting into the details. Uh-huh. And and that's, yeah, I think that's that's where a lot of, even the motivation for software, or even Preact. So I don't know if you all have seen this, but Preact released a library where you can add signals with fine-grained reactivity to React. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, use Signal, and you'd import this Mm -hmm. from Preact in your React app. Um, Oh, wow, okay. Right, and people are solving these problems for React, but really, I feel like in the developer community, there's a, man, why can't Meta just solve this since we all want this? And, you know, literally, man, at least once a week, I will hear someone complain about use effect, right? someone saying... Things uh-huh. like why would the default of any library's exported function be an infinite loop? Um, why, you know? And then people—they're mad about it, and and I feel like they kind of hope that the the, the core team solves this. And to be fair, I, I see them listening and solving it with things like the forget compiler. But mm-hmm. I feel like it must be very hard to be on the React team because, like, anything they say. Is so heavily scrutinized on, especially Twitter. Yeah. Like if they say something, they'll be if they say you know, hey, signals aren't the right solution for React right now or something like this. I can already see like a huge angry mob showing up and saying, hey, React, why are you punching down on Solid? Solid's great, you know. Um,
1: yeah. So it's it's yeah, it's complicated. Um, I mean, they they could yeah. just come out and say, hey, if you're not Facebook, React might not be the right thing for you. That's true. You know, if you're not building Facebook.com, React may not be the best framework for your use case. I would love to see it. <laughs> well,
0: I've I've talked to a number of people that are either involved heavily in the React community or are on the React team, and yeah, they'll admit that it's not the right solution for everyone. But the trick is figuring out where the trade offs are and then you know a lot of times when people are looking at react and saying well maybe it's not the right framework for me then they start looking at angular and vue which are all also have some of the same problems not all of the same problems but some of the same problems and so then they're looking at it and going they all have the same problem that i would need to work around and they don't go look at a solid or a quick or something like that um the other thing that's interesting in this discussion here is that um, and this was this came out when we talked to Mishko Hevery about um, Quick, right? Because he he left the Angular team and was working on Quick. And he talked about how some of these things, the Angular team, just by virtue of the way they designed Angular, they kind of painted themselves into a corner where they couldn't yeah. easily solve the problem without breaking changes. Now, maybe the community will come up with something that is a workaround, and you have to know that you know it has these certain quirks to the way that it interacts with Angular but it wasn't something that the Angular team itself could do and you know and I think sometimes we get into that with React and Vue as well where now we've got this large code base there are things in there that just aren't flexible enough for you to go in and and really change and so some of these things might be a little bit hard to do so they may have signals like with something you import from Preact but it may not be the same as what Solid does, because Solid has made other decisions in the way that they've architected the framework. And so
2: exactly.
0: it's it's really fascinating just to see, okay, where does this leave the landscape? Because people want it, but it may not be as easy as people think it is.
2: Yes, but this is why I, I'm really excited about, um, gosh, I'm about to use a, like a taboo word, but this is why I'm excited about um, React becoming decentralized um and and you know most of the core team moving away from meta to vercel um i think is brilliant uh-huh. because vercel's motivation is not facebook's motivation right vercel's motivation is right Two, point 1 they, they like to flex and show off their massive pecs in the in the web space so that that while i don't know how people feel about that it's a net positive because they're like look we we run react at like 0.001 ms network delay now um
0: mm-hmm. but
2: also um, Their hosting platform, who, who's incentivized for performance. So worst case, right. your React apps are really hard to deploy elsewhere except Vercel. Sure. Um, still, I think the, the framework itself, Next.js and so on, have every reason to be performant now because of that. You know. So I feel like the I, Angular failed. Well, I can't, I can't say Angular failed. Angular is really great, but Angular had its issues, especially with breaking changes and so on, because it did serve one master. Um, that, that was Google, right, at the time. But uh-huh. like, um, React now being the baby of mostly Vercel and Meta, and soon I, I predict uh, multiple Meta engineers over time will just go to Vercel. Um, it becomes more decentralized. And there's now also community working groups and things. So I do think the even if it was re if it was architected for Facebook in the beginning, I think there could be plenty of work to optimize it for a modern web. I, I see some of this already in the open source world. For example, I spoke with Mishko about how, you know, quick has code splitting, lazy loading as a first class citizen, right? Um, the whole framework is built around resumability. That is, this stuff comes from the right. server, in like minimal, and only like when I, like, click on something interactive, only then we incrementally load interactivity, which is quite nice because it's like tree-shaking interactivity. Um, but, and, and his argument to me is, React wasn't built for this, so they can't add it now. Um, and I don't know right. that that's fully true because if you go on github.com slash Facebook slash React, they're talking about um, what they call selective hydration, um, which is very close to resumability. It's almost there. Um, So maybe it may not be true resumability, but I think the benefits um, come very, very close, which selective hydration is, you hydrate absolutely nothing. So you server render your entire page, and then when a user goes to interact with an element, you hydrate them on demand, which is very similar to quick loading on demand, your code split closure. Mm -hmm. and I think this is a direct product of React being maintained by more than just Meta, you know, which which we haven't seen right. from Angular or Svelte or Vue or others. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think I don't know. I'm still a little optimistic about React. To be honest, I think it's because it has the momentum and now the decentralization and the incentivization by Vercel. I like the the stuff coming up with Quick and, and Solid is cool. Um, but i'm by no means like withdrawing eggs from my react basket
0: you know what i right. mean no i uh, and i don't know i mean if you're heavily invested in react and it's working for you it's doing what you need it to i don't know that you know withdrawing eggs is necessarily the right thing but one thing that is has been awesome as we've moved through i mean how long have we been doing this stuff now you know 20 30 years javascript right is that initially it was, hey, we're going to drop a script in your page. And then it was, hey, we've got nice things like prototype and the jQuery, right? And so as these things advanced, hey, now we've got standards around the DOM. Now we've got standards around other stuff. You know, now we're going to pull in Backbone. Backbone uses um, underscore. Hey, we can do underscore better. Now we have Lodash. Hey, we can do a lot of the Lodash stuff in in some of these other frameworks. And, you know, um, you know, so we kind of adopt that, and then we get like Backbone, and Backbone made it easy to organize all your JavaScript, and you still got the benefits of jQuery and everything else. And then it was, hey, well, now we've standardized the DOM to the point where we don't need a jQuery to kind of paper over all the inconsistencies in all the browsers. So the um, the frameworks kind of picked up a lot of the DOM magic because it wasn't so hard anymore. And then, you know, and then we got into like, yeah, we had an Angular and Angular was kind of taking the world by storm. And then React came out and pioneered a bunch of stuff. And so it's nice to see that, um, you know, if if the killer feature that I need, right, that makes more difference than and then all the other features put together is the thing that Solid has or Quick has or Alp, uh, what is it? Astro has or, you yeah. know, one of these other ones, right? I can go pick that up right? Yeah. If I just want kind of the, you know, or stimulus, stimulus is one I've been playing with. It's kind of a favorite of mine, but, uh, you know, I can go do that, right? It's like, okay, it does, it does exactly what I want, where I want, you know? Um, yeah. but if, if I have a big investment in React, right, I have a large React code base, it, you know, it's serving us well, it's doing the things we need it to, but yeah, I wish that it had, you know, the resumability, right? it's nice to see that they're still paying attention out there and that they're going to go pick up this stuff. And so to the point that it would be more work and cost me a ton more money and be a giant headache for me to move off of React and onto Solid, if they're continually picking up these good ideas and it's not going to kill my company in the in the short run to not have them, yeah, I don't see any reason not to just stay with React. But if they stop pulling, you know, they stop looking at these features, they stop looking at innovating the future and creating these opportunities for my application to do what I need it to, that's when I start looking and going, okay, they are not going to serve my needs long term, right? Exactly. So I may have to undergo some short-term pain to rewrite this in something that will.
2: Exactly. And and even so, like, to double down on what you said, like, you know, you may have heard a lot about React server components. Um, mm-hmm. React Server Components didn't get buy-in at Facebook at all. Like nobody wants that. And and right. this is this is when you thank your stars that React is maintained at more than just Facebook at Purcell, because it's no longer right. this thing that's built to serve just Facebook. And server components, I'm sure, as you're aware, is like extremely important for having highly performant React applications at the edge. Um mm-hmm. And and at a certain level of scale as well. You you uh, What's the alternative, man? Otherwise, you just ship like huge JavaScript bundles and maybe right. lazy load, and you do all of that. You gzip and broadly all your whatever. But like to be able to just ship components only when they're needed um, is, is a game changer like from, from UI. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it does come back to like, server rendering um, and so on. As I said, time is a flat circle, but... Uh, yes, the fact that they're investing in these things, I think is is key. So that's actually been the deterrent for me going like all in on. If I was to go all in on something that is not React, it would be quick or solid. Um, Purely because of syntax and learning curve. Both of these look exactly like React. They both use JSX. I have nothing. The learning curve is very, very shallow Um, versus something like Vue. For example, I feel like I would never learn Vue uh, because I just don't, I try. I tried mm-hmm. to write the view syntax, and it just doesn't. My brain doesn't seem to pick it up as easily. Um, yeah. Also, Svelte is, yeah. is different syntactically, um, but I find it somehow more approachable than than Vue. So,
0: right. So, um, I'm gonna kind of push us back towards signals for a minute. Yeah. Um, you know, because I, I think we kind. I think this was an important tangent because we're looking at okay, you know. How does this affect the broader ecosystem that we're looking at? Um, but have you what What have you done with signals? Like, what examples do you have as far as like plugging this in and letting letting it rip?
2: Yeah, I'm building a I'm building a like a personal finance app just for myself. Um, I started a business uh-huh. this year and taxes. Congrats! You know, and thank There goes you all your spare things. time. I mean. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's I, I know exactly what you mean, dude. Like I've been waking up at like eight o'clock in the morning, going to bed at eleven at night, working constantly. Um yeah. but, but it's 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 meaningful work, so I don't even mind, like I actually enjoy it. Right anyway. Um turns out I owe a lot of money to the IRS, the German IRS. Um but I I I wanna be sure to prepare for the huge amount of money I'm gonna have to just lose or, or pay. Um so I I naturally go look at bookkeep, bookkeeping apps but nothing is right. nothing hits the spot you know um, and I don't want to pay, I know exactly like, what you mean <laughs> believe yeah. me yeah and I don't want to pay like top dollar for some like Zendesk or whatever it is they use so anyway long story short I decided to make one uh, bespoke for my business to meet my business needs um and what I'm uh-huh. noticing is, dude, like when you have numbers, dashboards, and calculations across the board, not just with personal finance apps, you have tons of state that depends on other state. Um and, and, uh-huh. and you also have tons of UI elements that are very computationally intense. Even if it's just a time series like, hey, this is your income and expenditure over a year. Uh-huh. Like this is UI complexity on a different level. And um, you know, making the jump from like react, to react.memo everywhere and lazy load everything and be extremely cautious to implementing this with signals has been has been a real experience. Um, for the reasons we've covered, like with, with, with signals, it's like I write react code, or rather with solid, I write react code, but I don't think about performance. Unless it's network performance, um, in which case mm-hmm. you can't avoid that with a UI library. Um, but with React, I'm, I'm constantly having to think about, okay, where do I use Memo? What should I memoize? Are these props going to change? Oh, shit, I have stale props here. What happened? Like this conversation is just constant when you're working with a personal finance or dashboard app. So that's kind of what I know. So with Signals, I've been able to go quite far um, cre- because Solid JS has no opinions about the location of your state. You could create Signal literally anywhere like inside the declaration of your component or in some separate module somewhere else. You could even like create an NPM package of just signals and export them and import them into your project. You could do whatever you want. Um, and so with that, you know, I got to play with, what if I had all of my state declarations in one file? How would that work? Um, turns out not, mm-hmm. very, not very good because when you mutate it, then it becomes hard to track. Um, Solid does have some dev tools that shows you like a graph with nodes and edges of where your signals are, mm-hmm. which has been helpful. Um, oh, interesting. But yeah, yeah. It's it's actually very nice. I I, I can recommend that. Um, but longer story short, um, I, the fine-grained reactivity makes my shit performant and, and I don't have to think about performance. So that has been very helpful.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I just read um, for... So for our book club on Top End Devs, by the way, if you're all interested, topenddevs.com slash book club, um, I'm not going to give you a pitch, but you can go sign up. Um, anyway, we're reading Pragmatic Programmer and they talked about reactive programming and they basically used the spreadsheet as, as an example of that, right? This cell depends on this cell, right? And so you're talking about your finance and I'm sitting there going, yeah, that's pretty much what it is, right? It's a specialized programmatic spreadsheet where this value depends on that value, depends on that value. Right, and so I mean that makes total sense because effectively, what you wind up doing is you have, yeah, uh, this value depends on that value, but yeah, you don't, you don't want to re-render the whole sheet, right? You just want it yeah. to update if the other value updates. You just want it yeah. to react to one other value, and so exactly. when you call the the use signal, this is the question I have now: is if you do create signal. Do you do create signal like um, and then pass in the value in the other cell? And then when you update the signal, do you have some other function that pulls it for like how, how do you how do you manage the reactivity that way? right? Because the example on Solid js, it just has a set interval that it updates the count on. And now I'm yeah. thinking, okay, well, now I've got this element that has this value in it. So how do, how do I hook that in so that it when it changes, it updates the signal?
2: Yeah, so in, in that set interval example, it should be calling the updater. So when you when you create a signal, you get back a tuple of or a getter and a setter. Um, the getter does more uh-huh. than just get. The getter doesn't just get, but it also subscribes the context to the value. Right. Um, so it does two things. And then the setter, whenever you set also does two things: it mutates the value and then calls an update function on each subscriber. So the get okay. and the setter, yeah, they both do that. Uh, and then you know, okay, so whenever print, you
0: change it, it calls the setter.
2: Exactly. And, and that, and that updates the signal. Setter, whenever you change, no, the whenever setter, you
0: change the value, yeah, it updates. It calls the setter, and that updates everything else, or it
2: exactly. triggers everything else. Like one way to implement this, I believe, uh, quick influence this with, with proxies in JavaScript, right? Because you can just do, you can use a proxy and say, when you get, do this, when you set, do this. And then it just looks like object property assignments in JavaScript, but you can do more with them by hooking into them with proxies. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how they work. Now I, I have to say, just for balance, like, I've said a lot of negative things about how React has missed its declarative promise and how, sol- how signals are great and solid. But signals also have been a pain to use um, in my personal finance app in their own way. Uh, and this is, I think, the real meat that, that we should discuss, which is there's always trade-offs and nothing is great and nothing is inherently just better than the other thing. Um, and, and I tell you this because like with signals, I, you accidentally opt out of reactivity just without knowing. So kind of like in, mm-hmm. in React, you opt out of reactivity by like using use memo or something, but without updating that dependency array, you know? Um right. with solid, same thing. You just if you think in React for one second and destructure reading a signal, you've lost. You it's no longer reactive and you will never know why. Um, and you will sit there going, What but I'm reading this. Because, you know, destructure syntax assigns a variable to a value. So when you destructure a signal read... Oh. Exactly, right? But you have to think about this. So you're not subscribed
0: anymore. You just assign the value.
2: Exactly. So again, you have to think about this. You have to think about... This is 100% the same as in React, thinking, should I use memo? Should I use... call? It's the same cognitive load that they're supposed to solve, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they're not perfect and every tool has its trade offs yeah.
0: no it's it's interesting right because this is the same thing that when i got into ruby on rails i really loved right was that there was a convention and so as long as you followed the convention i could make a dozen um assumptions about how things were that i didn't yeah. have to think about anymore and yeah like you're saying the second you deconstruct it and pull it apart you've basically removed all those assumptions you can make now and you've yes. got to think about what the exceptions are to the thing that you kind of naturally move toward.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I've been, I've been burned by my UI not updating by both Solid.js and React almost equally. Um, oh, wow. Brilliant. Yeah, it's like just pick your poison. Now, I have to say, maybe, maybe, if, you know, I've been writing solid for 10 years and I've just never destructured because you just don't do it in solid, would have right. been a different story. But, dude, React has been around for 10 years. Solid hasn't. So it's quite likely that people just be destructuring stuff left and right. Uh, yep.
1: Yeah. So are you familiar with call bags? Sure. Call bags with a G. like a, Oh, that's Andre okay. uh library. Yeah, well, it's not a library. It's it's a specification. Okay. Uh, tell tell I, me more about th- it. Well, it's essentially what promises are, except for events that will happen over and over again. So a promise resolves once. A call bag resolves multiple times. Also, it's a two-way communication channel or it can be it doesn't have to be anyway I, when i hear this stuff about signals to me it 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 seems like it, it seems like it's a concept that should be usable aside from any framework it seems like it should be something like promises you know i don't have react promises and solid promises and whatever i just have promises and promises Well, they don't really work in React, but but if they did, that would be great. Or at least they don't propagate up. But um, you know, so so it sounds like we're talking about a design pattern, but we're only talking about it with respect to the implementation, and that's why I brought up callbacks because Mm -hmm. callbacks is the design pattern that you can implement in any framework, or you could implement it in a library, just like promises were implemented in libraries before they were they were. Standardized Standard. and and whatnot, but I I'm just wondering if you see if I mean it sounds like you don't you don't know that much about it. I don't know that much about it, but I I watched a presentation on it. I thought it was really excellent because for me it clicked. It's like oh, this is what I've wanted. This is composable events, and that sounds like what Signals is trying to do. And so yeah, what do you, do you have any thoughts on any of that? Blah 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 that I just said. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think. Well, <laughs> the
0: blah 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 good stuff incidentally um, you said Andre uh, Staltz. so call bag. if you look at the repo it outlines that yeah it's a spec but then there's a repo from andre that is an implementation so you you were the, correct
2: nice is that the scuttle scuttled butt thing is that what
0: is no it's callback dash basics i'll put a link in the i put it in the chat i'll put it in the show notes
2: okay yeah, it's interesting. I think I think I think I think a couple of things. I think call bags, observables, and signals try to solve the same problem in different like there's so I feel like maybe it's just that I don't know enough to delineate them, but these three, you know, they they effectively do similar things. They respond to changes um in a in a way that we can easily reason about. Um and I agree with you. I think Specification would help a lot um, because this is also a problem in the UI world where, like, I can use the notion of a signal in Quick, and I can also so both Quick and Solid, both these libraries have their own implementations of signals, um, and they work differently between them. So some of these trade offs that I mentioned, where I felt pain with my Money app and Solid, don't exist in Quick. Because their implementation is different. And their implementation is different because there's no standardization. Um, So I I agree with you. I think to some degree, I would love to see a language primitive um, for reactivity. I think we got close to that, right, with um, what was observable. That's part of TC39's approval process. That's currently being discussed as far as I know. Um, we should ask Ben Lesh to to come on the podcast, and, mm-hmm. and talk. that would be a great episode. I feel like a lot of people would, would yeah. want to listen to that. But uh, yes, that's in progress. But like, this is the problem. I feel like TC thirty nine is blocking progress on these reactive primitives. Um, I feel like if there was more traction with the observable proposal, um, we'd have you know less differing implementations and more adherence to some type of reactive
1: primitive. I'm not. I'm, well, as as you may have gathered, I prefer explicit over implicit. I don't like magic. I rather use a library than be consumed by a framework. You know, when I write a function, I want my function to call other functions. I don't want my primary mode of operation being that my function is called by another function. That being the distinguishment between Library is you call other functions as the primary, your main function, whereas the framework is the main function is somewhere else and you're supplying code. That's kind of how I distinguish it. So, so for me, I I I would I would much rather see what's happening and know the cause and effect, be able to look at the code and understand from the code what's going on. Which, in some ways, is kind of the the imperative versus declarative argument. I am definitely in favor of imperative code. I prefer code to, I, I mean, I like the idea of information hiding. Yeah, let's have a function. I mean, it, essentially every function is declarative because you're hiding implementation details behind a name that's descriptive of of what will happen, not how it happens. So at that level, I like declarative, But but I like to be able to see things so that there is no magic, so there's no guesswork, uh, if I have a bug, if something's going wrong, if there's a performance issue, I can go to where the thing is and be able to see here are the you know ten things that are being called or or dealt with or done with. so I'm not it, it, the the observables from the way I understand it kind of puts a lot of the magic behind the scenes and I actually prefer the the idea that you you have more of a chain, more of a, uh, a an explicit signal that I call this action, and there's a tree of things that that's going to fire off. And I think that, that that's just easier for me to read. It's more lines of code when you look at I'm going to write more lines of code because instead of having nested dependencies, dependencies going deep, the dependencies go wide, but that's that's easier for me to reason about. So I kind of hope that the observables, I, I think it's kind of lost steam, and I, I hope it stays that way. I'd much prefer to see something like the callback spec than, than the observable spec. From what I understand, can you maybe like outline a little bit um, what you like
2: about the callback spec? Speaking to this like imperative versus declarative point you mentioned, and also like how that
1: concretely differs from the the observable spec. You know, people so, I may be misunderstanding what the observable spec is because we've we've had I did I, I pretty much don't dig into things that that don't I, I don't play with ES20 XDX if something right. is implemented in browsers for the past two years that's when I when I play with it right. because I, I don't I don't want to have to have transpilers around code that may or may not work at a future date when it's, it usually ends up being syntax sugar anyway. But the presentation that I watched, what I saw was that just like a, so I, I, from the, the readme in the repo, uh, that this information is not as clear. It is, it is pretty clear in terms of it's basically, uh, the protocol is basically one function signature well i guess no it's three function signatures and that that's that's basically that's it it's just if if something implements all three of these function signatures then it's a callback but the the way that i saw it used was just like a promise or an async function anytime you create an async function or you create a promise you returned an object which I learned, that's what a monad is. A promise is a monad. A, a monad is an object that contains a method that can pass the value into a new context without the value being explicitly referenced from the object itself. So promise, anybody want to know what a monad is, a promise is a monad. Um, but the, the promise contains the value and the promise can be passed around and the promise can be composed. So you can pass a promise to another promise, you can create a stream of promises. And so that's what I liked about callbacks is it's just that. You get an object that contains information about a stream and you can pass that stream around and other streams can compose with it and they can use it. So it actually gives you a very functional style of of programming. But when you look at the code, it's really, really clear at least from the, the code that was in the slides, and I'll link to the, the presentation. It was by Travis Barney and he did an excellent job. I could I could easily tell from looking at the slides, this thing feeds into this thing, feeds into this thing. And just like we have dot then and dot catch, there were a couple of convenience methods that are not part of the spec, but or at least I, I don't believe they're part of the spec, but they're part of one of the reference implementation libraries. So the the callback itself is like ten lines long. It's mm. it's almost nothing. It's it's like a callback. You know what's what's a callback? It's literally a function signature. That's all a callback is. A call bag, which I think is a terrible name for this reason when we're doing audio, but the call bag is like that, where it's the callback itself is just it's just the function signatures. And the interface but the implementation had some things that were kind of functional style or or lodash style where you have your collection manipulation uh functions that that help you to orchestrate how the event happens Uh, so with that it it is just nice to be able to look and to see and to be able to read and know what's happening and i contrast that with use state and also signals yeah that what you don't see is that your code is running inside of a function and there's a framework that is consuming your code and when it gets to your function it sets a counter on a stack that you can't see and uh, it, it has the the name of the component and some some state details in it It runs that function which must be synchronous. And then when that function is completed, it goes and it runs the next function and it increments the stack counter. And so every time you use, use state, what you don't see behind the scenes is that it is managing the state of that function. And that's why you can't use, use state at the top level. And then what signals do, from what I understand, is that it just handles the the state pushing popping differently so that you can if you put it outside of something and there's nothing on the stack at that moment, so a function is marked as uh, not having start run or having completed being run, then it can put that in the higher level scope. So I conceptually, I understand it because I've actually looked at the React code to see where this actually happened in React, and I can, I can visualize in my mind's eye the way that you would need to tweak that in order for the signal thing to work. But most people... I, w- I would say probably 99 would be a low guesstimate on how many people can intuit how use state works, even if they saw the source code. Yeah, yeah, but I mean,
2: there's there's so much to to unpack. There. Just one one note about the signals is it, it's it, there's no the, their whole claim to fame is that it, there's no um, like array or stack. Depending on the implementation, usually you just return an object with a proxy. And when you you get, you subscribe something. When you set, you notify subscribers. So there there is no stack. Um, But you
1: said said earlier that the way that it knows which component it's in, it knows which component it's in, even though you don't pass the component to it, which means that there is a stack because the component has to be called and it pushes the component into the state management so that it knows because normally, when you call a function, a function, you know, a pure function has no state to it. But use state and the create signal, their state is based on which function is presently being run. So when use state runs, if an if it's being run while another function is running, the state of that use state becomes the function. So, it, 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 correct me if I'm if I'm mistaking this, but that is happening, otherwise it wouldn't know which component it's in. Well, as far as I know, um, and again, it varies, it's it's
2: not as much important to recall the component function, because the component, as far as I know, is not re-executed in solid, but instead um, just the getter is re-executed, and the getter doesn't doesn't it is, is in a way decoupled from its surrounding component context. Um I don't know the details, but that's why I hear it. they get this fine-grained reactivity because you're not re-executing your... If you have a component app and that thing opts into a signal, reads a signal, the component is not re-executed. Just the getter is. And it returns a new value in place, hence fine-grained reactivity.
1: So are we saying that when it transpiles the code, it's looking for the call to the function and then it's taking the code that surrounds that and then it's wrapping it so that it can execute it. Because obviously HTML doesn't have this functionality, or I shouldn't say obviously, because HTML is, the DOM is updating quite frequently, (laughs) but I don't believe that this is using any native technology of the DOM. I believe this is using a transpiler hack. Yes, yes, yes,
2: yes. And and React for
1: U-State does not use a transpiler hack. At first I thought it did, but it actually is not using a transpiler hack. I believe both Quick and now from what you're saying, I think that perhaps solid use yeah. transpiler hacks, which I I don't think that React is really any better because the way that it's doing what it's doing, it's very difficult to intuit how it works. And it seems like it's a transpiler hack. It's actually not with use with use state, at least. The other ones, if they are using transpiler hacks, it's like, well, now we're again, another step removed from JavaScript, which people are already... They're deeply struggling to get the basics of JavaScript. And I think part of that is because they're thrown in the deep end without, without really, even in the, you know, the boot camps or college or whatever it is, people don't learn. I don't think there's a lot of learning of JavaScript. I think it's a lot of, you get thrown into a framework and you have to figure out what JavaScript is and how it's different from the transpilation or the framework, whatever after the fact. And some people say that's, they wish they'd learned JavaScript first. Some, I don't know if. I don't know which is the better approach, honestly. Yeah, but yeah, no, I, I like
2: the way I like the way you say. Um, I, I like the way you reason about this. My only, I feel like if you're an imperative person, if you prefer the imperative approach, my 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 question to that is like, where's the line? You know, because like promises became declarative, though we used to imperatively
1: um, implement them until. I, if you if you're asking where the line is, you've gone too far. <laughs> okay. Because it's, I'm not looking at this from, from a cultist or or, or religious yeah. standpoint, right? It's, I'm not subscribing <laughs> to yeah. imperative. I'm simply saying that people often use the term declarative to basically mean, you know, the maximal the maximal declarative is a JSON file. If you mm. could write a program in a JSON file, that would be the most declarative program you could possibly write. There would be no imperative in it. Because there is no, there is no instruction. There would only be um, declaration. And the maximum imperative you could do would be a single main function with go-tos and, you know, everything all the way down. That's the maximal imperative you could do. Have no abstraction whatsoever. And I don't, I, I certainly don't subscribe to that. But I don't view... I don't view declarative as something to strive for. Mm. I view readable function names and and composability as something to strive for. And people might say, well, that's declarative. And maybe it is, but I don't want... My dream come true is not a drag-and-drop interface that creates a JSON file that is the program. Yeah, that's that's... So well said.
2: I like how it very like you you towed the line of nuance very well with that statement. Appreciate that.
1: Which was the line
2: of nuance? <laughs> Thank well, you. Well, because like because what, like tech Twitter would hear, um, okay, it's either declarative or imperative, right? And, and I say to, by towing the line of nuance, I mean you you outline very well, very clearly that you can name functions well. And, and abstract in a in a healthy way, um, instead of you know create a JSON file effect. Like you draw a nice distance between what people would think of as either this or that, and show that actually, the best work happens in the middle. And that's that's what I wanted to appreciate. Thanks. Yeah.
0: All right, I'm going to push this into pics and stuff. Um, I guess the first thing that we do is the self promotion. So. We always ask the question, what are you working on that people should know about? So, AJ, what are you working on that people should know about?
1: Well, uh, still still doing the Beyond Code course. Really excited about that. And a new thing is a buddy of mine and I have talked about doing a hosting service for a long time. He sent me a server uh, and uh, a, a Blade server and walked, held my hand to, to set it up. And there was definitely a lot of bits that I would not have, would have taken me hours and hours to search to figure out what to do. But, you know, we were able to get it up and running really quickly. And now I've got time machine backups and stuff running off of it for my home. And so anyway, after seeing how simple it was and understanding the features, it's basically DigitalOcean in a box. We are starting a hosting service. So if you're interested in that, Feel free to ping me. Why would you use our hosting service over, over DigitalOcean? You probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't recommend it. But we're going to have basically the same reliability as DigitalOcean. And our thing is going to be uh, economies of scale rather than economies of SaaS. So if you if you buy more, you pay more. If you buy less, you pay less. And if you so by buy less you pay less. I mean, for example, DigitalOcean charges four times what they charge you to run a database cluster as what it would cost if you set it up yourself. In the so you're using less resources, and you're paying more for it for basically a script that runs one time at at the start, like that kind of thing. Um, and then we are also committed to uh, a very liberal viewpoint in the. The current dictionary definition of liberal, as I understand it, meaning uh, if it's legal, it goes, and if it's if it's not legal, then it then it doesn't go. So no no uh, no conditions uh, upon uh, usage other than it than it than it be then you know it be legal,
0: right? So if if people if you don't like the thing that people are hosting on there, you don't shut them off, basically, is what you're saying.
1: I don't want to know what people are hosting on there. I mean, when we get started, it's going to be very high touch. You know, it's going to be invite only. Yeah. You know, so somebody's going to reach out to me and whatever. So we're going to have some... I, I There are organizations and people that I would not want using our service, but we have to have some level of discrimination. And you know, I, I don't want people that have a history of scamming or fraud or whatever you know, it's yeah, but that's it's not, not legal a, either. Uh, yes, but someone can have a bad reputation, but not do something presently that's illegal, mm. or can okay. ex- it, there's there is there is some sort of line there. I don't want to attract bad actors. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not a yeah, place to harbor enough. bad actors, but it is a place that you can be a wrong thinker and have dumb opinions. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Or a right thinker and have dumb opinions.
1: Yeah, or a right thinker and have great opinions.
0: <laughs> all right, good deal. Um. All right. So what I'm working on. Um, a lot. How much do I, I, I say? Yeah, I don't. I don't want to take up too much time, but effectively, so what? What I've been trying to build with top end devs for a long time is a is a platform where people can come and level up in in various ways, right? I have the top-end devs method. I think I've talked about it on a couple of shows, you know, where you're learning something new every day, you're committing code every day, you're meeting somebody new every day, you're uh, posting content every day, you know, so you're building your network, you're building your um, portfolio, you're building your your, uh, personal brand, right? You're going to meetups and conferences and you're making a plan for how you're gonna move forward, right? And so I wanted to create that, and what I found is that I was trying to do all of them, and that didn't work because I don't—I I am not the do all of the things person. I just can't. I don't have time. So what I've decided is I'm just going to roll back to the learn something new every day and commit code every day is kind of the first level of what I'm focused on, and then I'm pulling in the meet somebody new and the meetup piece, um, and adding those. And so it's just one product. So I'm creating that product where you get two videos a week. Uh, one of them will be out on YouTube for free, but the other one will be premium only. And then um, we're throwing in a monthly meetup where I either bring in people I know who can come and speak to a particular topic, or we just do a Q and A. You know, kind of what people, whatever people need. Maybe it'll be a, you know, hey, we're gonna do a group setting coaching where everybody can kind of chime in and help this person and this person and this person in the hot seat for 20 minutes each for an hour. Right, But then you can, we're gonna have some networking after the meetups is basically what I'm saying, where we're gonna use some system, I think I'm gonna use like gather.town, I think is what it's called, where you can virtually walk around a room and join a conversation and chat with, like audibly chat with people and get to know them after those meetups. So that's what I'm putting together, but the the meetups are kind of a a minimal effort add-on thing for me, I have to prepare for whatever's being presented, but beyond that, right? and then putting out the videos. So the areas I'm looking at doing are Ruby and Rails, JavaScript, I keep getting stuff for React, so probably gonna wind up doing React. I'm doing uh, code tools like Git, uh, Docker, uh, VS Code, that's all gonna be one series. If people just really want something on some, I might split it off. Um, If you're interested in helping author some of these videos, by the way, I am open to that and I'm willing to compensate you for it. And then uh, the other one is career. Right. So, um, cause I have a lot of people asking, how do I go become a senior developer, stuff like that? So I'm working on that. Um, but the other thing that I figured out is that if, if I'm writing the code to deliver all this stuff, then I'm not delivering this stuff. And so we're moving everything off of stuff that I have to maintain and build. Not everything, the podcast is still going to be hosted on a system that I've written because I couldn't find anything else that does it. But everything else is going to be on circle.so. Um, and you can go sign up because I'm going to have some free content in there, right? So you can come and join and be part of the, you know, part of the party and part of the conversation. Also, all of the preparation for all the podcasts is going to be in there from now on. And so you can see what episodes are coming up. And if you have a question you want us to ask, you can ask it. Anyway, so that's what I'm working on now. That's the thing that I'm, I'm putting together. Um, and you can either message me for an invite link I'm hoping to get it up on the website before this goes live. But if you can't find it, just email me, Chuck, at com, and I will send you an invite link so you can join. Um, and that's that's pretty much what I'm working on. Uh, Tages what are you working on?
2: Nice. I'm working too much. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm I feel working that, on a, dude.
0: I so feel that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm working on a new... Um, consulting company that I just started for developer relations. It has no name. It has no marketing. It has no advertising because um, a good problem to have, we've got a lot of customers, uh, more than we can handle. Well, maybe that's not true, but we got, we've got plenty of work to go around. Um, so I'm working on hiring um, and really just building out a really nice kind of um, organization where, you know, when companies, developer tools companies have questions about, DevRel. How do we do it well? What conferences do we go to? What meetups do we sponsor? Should we even create content written or video? Or what like, you know, strategy? Um, they have a place to go. They have a go-to. All right, let's call them up and they'll sort us out. Um, and also, like, that's strategy, but like my company also just like does the work. A lot of company, DevTools Mm companies especially, are like super understaffed and they're stuck in like months long cycles of like trying to hire. and, and then you know it's, it's even more complex because they usually want equal representation so they need like they want to get like a good diverse team of women and people of color and underrepresented minorities and all of this and so hiring just sometimes gets stalled and they need videos but they're like we have no one to make them uh, so that's what that's high that's what my company does as well um, videos written content talks whatever it is um, so it, it's it's going very well um, thankfully we've got a lot of very happy Customers. And um, I think the reason I'm working too much is because I, I, I you know, how it, like when you start something, you, you feel like the sense of identity, like shit. Like if my customers aren't happy, mm-hmm. I'm a bad, pur- I'm in trouble, you know? So I can say confidently that everybody's very happy and there's just more coming every day without any marketing. I'm so really trying to build out a team that can reliably service these people is what I'm working on. Um, but also, I'm working on my finance app. And I'm working on YouTube content. So I decided um, to be a regular YouTube content creator. Um, I have a channel, youtube.com slash at um, where I made videos about signals, but also um, talk about, on Thursdays, talk about web dev topics that are interesting to me and relevant to the industry. Um, this week, we're putting out a video on how, I don't know if you all have heard, but um, CSS has nesting now just like that out of the box yeah it's part of yeah <laughs> right now so we're putting out is it a video is it in browsers
1: of, it's in browsers as far as i know yeah, support this? sure yeah that's the last um, thing that's the last thing we needed we could burn sass we can let it die
2: yeah. <laughs> we might research for the video that it's maybe under a flag or something but i, I did see a blog post from chrome web dev that it's out um, in css so that's cool. So we're putting out a video on that on Thursday. And that's kind of with the vibe. Is on Thursday, we just talk about awesome new stuff that is happening mm-hmm. on the web. And on Sundays, we talk more about like career focus and mentorship and soft skills. Um, but honestly, man, those two things keep me really busy. I'm also writing a book on React. Um, those are probably the three things that that takes away most of my time. And I have a family as well. So quite, quite a bit going on. Somewhere in there, I have yep. to find time to shave my head. You know? Um,
0: uh, yeah, I keep putting that off. <laughs> all right, good yeah. deal. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's let's roll into picks. Uh, AJ, you yes. have picks.
1: So if picks. that if that spec is finally completed and approved, and it's yeah, it not isn't. it's not just it's not just Chrome saying we're implementing a draft of this and maybe or maybe not, but it's that like it's approved. It's it's happening. It's done. It's a done deal. We can count yeah. on it being available. No, as I am of, going to look of, so forward to using that in about a year and a half, dude. As of five days ago, it's been shipped, and I'm looking at my browser right now, and it says it's supported.
2: That's um, that is sweet. You can on browsers that are not
1: supported. You can use app supports. You can use the supports thing to check. Um, so anyway, that is so cool. So I'm going to pick that first and foremost. I've been waiting for that for a long time. I don't really do that much front end. But that is one of the things that that's the only thing that I think that CSS needs, as far as I can tell from my conversations with people, that keeps people in transpilation tools for CSS with a good excuse. So with that landing, we should be able to kick the transpilation on CSS to the curb and use the browser. And that sounds amazing to me. Other than that tailwinds now a big thing and, and, and people, I, I, I think I kind of get it. But it's basically just it's every th- every common option you'd ever want in a big list of fifty thousand options, and then it just selects the ones you actually use to include in the CSS. It's like, I kind of, I kind of is that is that what Tailwind is? That it oh, it's to a way more than that. We should do a whole episode oh, no. on Tailwind. I mean, oh no, I would not <laughs> know. <laughs> we can um, debate all day. But I do, I do have a couple of uh, non-spontaneous picks, or at least less spontaneous picks if I can, if I can find out where the little thing went here okay so uh call bags i'll link to the presentation on that and the spec the presentation i think really did it justice although it you you know i think you need to watch it through because i personally am interjecting with questions and as those questions are getting answered and the slides are continuing my because when i first looked at it i was like uh you know the first couple slides but then as i you know so but i'd, I'd recommend anybody that's interested in that kind of stuff. Whether you're front end or back end, I think this is it's a design pattern. It's it's a spec, it's a design pattern. Uh the the implementation of it you could write yourself if you just wanted the bare bones thing in something like I don't know, he fits it on a slide. So, but just like Douglas Crockford fit an entire promise implementation on a slide back in the day. But then there's a lot of extra stuff that if you want it to be nice and yada yada. But anyway, there's that. Uh also I'm gonna pick Breath of the Wild. Because Tears of the Kingdom's coming out, which I'm also going to pick. And, well, I can't pick that yet because it hasn't come out, so I don't know. But I'm playing through Breath of the Wild again because my daughter started playing it because she just basically picked one of the cartridges at random and stuck it in because it you know, had a pretty cover on it or something. And so that got us kind of playing it as a family again. And, oh my goodness. I've spent over, I've definitely over 100 hours, probably over 200 hours, very likely over 300 hours in that game, playing through it again. And I am realizing, wait, I never turned right here. Oh, there's an entire section of the map that I've never explored. There's an additional 15 hours of, you know, if not more than that, of just exploring that I could do in this section. And I've heard other people talk about that too where they've put 300 hours into the game and then they still find new places on the map and new cities and towns and new fruits and new it's an amazing expansive game it it beat the completionist out of me because you you cannot complete it it's you 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 have to live life you have to spend time with the family go to work and even if yeah it's but breath of the wild is it's a phantasmagorical game and i I, I was kind of bummed about Tears of the Kingdom because it's taken so many years and I thought, you know, that flames kind of burn out. People that were looking for the sequel to Breath of the Wild and more of it, you know, five years ago or whatever it's been now, six years ago. Maybe they're not looking for that now. Maybe this thing will just flop. But for anybody that replays Breath of the Wild and just, yeah, I think I think it'll renew your vigor if you're unsure about Tears of the Kingdom. I think it'll renew your your sense of, of faith that Nintendo's going to pull it off. It's going to be a success. Um, yeah, those are my, those are my picks. Oh, and, and the Ballad of songbirds and snakes still listening to that. Just getting to the point where I think president snow is going to become the president snow more that we know, but, uh, he's going over to the dark book. side hunger games. Well, he's, he's, uh, There is an event that I predict is going to happen that is going to take him from morally gray to utilitarian. Mm. So. All right. Excellent prequel to The Hunger Games.
0: Nice. All right. I'm going to jump in with my picks here. So the first pick that I have is, I always pick a card game or a board game. This one's a card game. Um, And the the name of the game is uh, The Crew. It's this. There are a few of them. This one's the Quest for Planet Nine. It came out twenty nineteen, um, and it's it's a pretty easy to pick up game. Um, and effectively, what you do is you have quests that you're trying to complete. Um, there are four suits. There's uh, blue, green, pink, and yellow, and then um, there's black suit, which just is numbered one through four, and those are your trump suit, and What you're trying to do is you're trying to arrange it so that certain people um, capture in a trick the card that is in front of them, right? So you lay out the cards for the quest, um, and then you go around, whoever has the highest trump picks first, and they, uh, you know, and then it just goes to the left, you know, picking which one you're going to try and take. Sometimes you get into some tough. Situations, right, where you wind up with a card you have to take that you don't really have a hand to be able to do. And so, um, there's a communication mechanism and some other things that make it easier to, uh, to make it through. But yeah, so there are 50 quests, and, you know, it's like, hey, your communications were raised down. And so it limits the way you communicate, or, um, you've got to fix this, right? And so then you've just got to capture so many cards or so many cards in a certain order or things like that. Um, Anyway, it's really fun. Um I think we played I mean some of the rounds we did in like 5-10 minutes. Uh some of the other rounds, I mean there there're only 10 tricks. So it goes pretty fast. Um you know, some of them took maybe 20 minutes. Uh Board Game Geek weights it at 1.98. So it anyway, it's been a ton of fun. We've been playing it with my sister-in-law and her husband. Um and so I'll, I'll put a link to Board Game Geek and Amazon so you can go get it. But it is it is really fun. We've really been enjoying it. Um, it is three to five players. So this is not a game, I guess, that I could just go play with my wife um, on our own, right? We have to have another person. Um, my 13-year or 14-year-old, she's 14 now. Math, years, anyway... Uh, My fourteen-year-old was playing it with us, and she really enjoyed it. So, um,
2: yeah, uh, you're wild.
0: I have a (laughs) seventeen-year-old, so whoa. Anyway, um, but yeah, good stuff. And then other picks. um, My wife and I are watching Star Trek: Picard. We're only like two episodes in, but we've been enjoying that. that. That's been pretty good on Paramount Plus, and. I think that's all I've got in the way of picks right now. Um, Circle.so, I guess, is another pick. And uh, just connecting things in. I'm using Zapier to manage a lot of the stuff in Circle.so, so so I'll pick that too. All right, Tejas,
2: Hmm. what do you want to pick? Ah, I love picks. So I have um, three things I want to pick. They're three different things. They're not tech things. I can maybe start with the tech things and then go less tech. Um, First one is flight control. I don't know if y'all have heard of flight control, but dude, like when it comes to deploying, especially was I'm thinking of AJ who's starting a hosting company, like flight control um, is the best way to deploy on AWS that I found. Like you literally, you, you, so how it works, right? You what You sign in, you wire up your AWS account and it just like is like a UI proxy to AWS where you interact with the best UI ever. You and your whole team and behind the scenes, it kind of just like does AWS things. So you get AWS infrastructure, but like with nicer UI and UX, and it's it's so needed because the AWS console is painful. But also working with Terraform and Pulumi is like it, AWS is never easy from what what I hear from the community. So something like Flight Control makes me makes me very excited, especially as somebody who cares about like experiences a lot. Um, that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Second pick. Is a conference. Uh, I go to a lot of conferences, and I have to shout out a conference called WorkerConf Conf, um, that is the sister to another conference called Agent Conf. But Agent Conf, I mean, it, it was in February. And it was incredible. It, like it's two days of talks and two days of skiing in the Alps, like with speakers, and it's just like a whole vibe. So the the counterpart to that, the spring version of that Worker Conf, um, I guess the summer version is happening in september um and i think that is a pick because it's the, the, so again it's similar concept one day of javascript talks or one day of talks mm-hmm. and the next day is like hiking so all of this is in like the alps so in, the, oh, in nice. the summer you can't see but you like mountain bike down i was there last year and um michael Arnaldi, who um, is is you know he does work in the functional space had a bmx on the way down of the mountain and like had a big fall and flew and scraped. There was a whole thing. And we grow together through injuries. <laughs> but also <laughs> through... Uh, but it's, it's, it's one of those things that you go, wow, did you really spend your conference mountain biking? Yeah. Uh, so that's a cool pick. And then the third, nice. um, the third pick, probably the least tech, is my favorite TV show of all time, whose new episode is out today, and I haven't yet seen it, and I'm kicking myself, The Last of Us. On HBO. Oh my God! Like this is there is no better TV show that I've seen, man. Like I don't know if y'all have watched mm. The Last of Us, but as somebody who has played, dude, I've played the PlayStation game, which is one of the best games ever made. Um, and then Sony, the same creator of the game, makes the TV series. Like I've, I've never seen a TV show executed this well, and and also this true to the source material. So really into The Last of Us right now on HBO. Um, yeah those, those three oh nice Ooh, like, I'm so like I'm, I'm so like, invigorated just talking about these three things
0: awesome alright yeah. one last thing if people want to find you online where do they find you
2: good question they find me on twitter.com slash Tejas Kumar underscore where they find me on youtube.com slash at Tejas K Tejas is spelled like Tejas you know like Texas anyway um, that's where they find me I'm also on LinkedIn but I mean you know, I don't, I don't know that people want to go to LinkedIn to find you.
0: All right. Very cool. Well, let's go ahead and wrap it up. All um, right. Man. Thanks for coming till next time, folks. Max out.